Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. This was honestly one of my favorites that we've had so far. And we bring on former NHL referee Tim Peel, who Jeff knows very, very well as he trained him, uh, especially over the past couple of years when he got hurt and got him back into the NHL. Uh, but Tim was born in Toronto and spent most of his childhood in Eastern Canada in New Brunswick. That was a crazy story to get into on the podcast, but just what a career that he had over three, 1,300 regular season games in the NHL, also playoffs. He ref the 2012 All-Star Game. He ref the 2014 Olympics in Sochi uh, and just ended his professional refing career last year amid a little bit of controversy, which we do get into in this conversation here. But, uh, you know, this was, this was an inspiring, awesome conversation. He's a great guy. And, uh, before we do get over to Tim though, we will bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey J. Hulovechki Vex, What's up today? How much bro. I was excited to have, uh, one, another one of my clients on this show. Love bringing the boys on and the guys on that I've trained. And uh, like I told you before this one, I was super excited. Um, Tim Peel is one of the best guys I've ever met in hockey. And I do not say that lightly. Um, I told you this story right before we, we, we got on the call with him. But to, to talk of, to demonstrate what a good human being Tim Peel is, um, I started training him his, his second to last year refing the COVID year. Uh, Jonathan Taze fell on his ankle, snapped his ankle. Um, and he wanted off ice training. So we talked to a bunch of the pros in town and a bunch of them uh, recommended me. So we started training together and we had to do all these kind of outside the box things because he had this boot on and he couldn't put any pressure on it at all. Um, and we just had a great time training, but only like, I think I want to say it was like three weeks into me training him um, uh, or at the end of me training him, COVID hit hadn't known him that long. And literally I put on Instagram the day that I shut my gym, I was like, all right, we're shutting the gym down for two weeks. That's the state's orders, whatever. He called me that day and was like, Vex, if you need any money, like while your gym shut down, if you're having any hard time, just please let me know. And, uh, and I'll help you out. And luckily I didn't, but like for, for me to, you know, only know this guy for a couple months and for him to do that, like what, like what, I mean, just that's the kind of guy he is. He's such a good person. And it was really exciting to have him on the show. It's like the it's like the whole basis of of a lot of what I think is necessary for people to hear from this conversation is that referees are human beings, you know, and we see them as binary. It's like black and white, literally black and white. That's what they wear. Um, but like 
we treat them as referees, like objects, like things. And even with Tim's incident that he had with Nashville and Detroit game that ultimately ended his career, you know, people probably have this perception of him in a certain way with the fallout and and how it happened. And then you get into a conversation. I mean, you know, him. I, I've never met him before. And you get into this conversation with him here and you're like, Oh my God, like this guy's amazing. And so it's, I think it's really good to humanize the refs um, because they are people and 99% of them are, are really, really good people. And uh, yeah, this was, this was just a really fun conversation. Well, my, my boy, my, my dog, he, he wanted to say, yeah, I love Peelzy too. <laughs> um, yeah. You're so right. And, and we went so many different directions with this conversation. Oh my God. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the same format we usually do. It was really fun. Just kind of going all over the place in the beginning and talk about a lot of, a lot of stories, a lot of players, a lot of things that happened in his career. We obviously talk about what ended his career and uh, you know, he's an open book talking about it. And so that was really exciting too, to hear it, you know, from the horse's mouth after, after that whole thing that happened where we in the hockey world, you know, like we know what happened, but maybe people on the inside or people who didn't play it, the highest levels or maybe even ever ref they didn't really understand like how that happened or what came to be so i was really happy that he indulged us and went through it for quite a while and his process and his mindset and everything that happened so that was that was pretty cool too yeah for sure and you like talk about some of the name drops in in this conversation you're dropping plz if you listen to this but no it was awesome yeah. And it's cool. Like uh, for me, and I think there's like going to be a lot of different things that different people will take out of the conversation, you know, cause we did go into so many different avenues in it. And, but the one that, that I was most interested in was just the relationships, the relationship building with the players and coaches that, you know, he, he had, and then he developed throughout the years and, and how sad it is almost that that's starting to, to fade. And just, we are huge believers in the reason why hockey is great is because of the people in it and the relationships that can be formed. Um, are there some bad apples? Sure. But for the most part, 99.9% of people in our game are, are fantastic people. And just, you know, it's, it's become such this like machine and become such this like business and it's, uh, it's unfortunate and I hope people can kind of get back to that. And just like the lessons you learn in hockey when, yeah. when youth hockey, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do something, but there kind of is with youth sports. I truly think as we both do, like all of the lessons, all of the, 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 the things that happen, like, you know, yelling at refs and, and you, you can do so many things to teach these kids lessons for the rest of their life, you know, respecting others and, and just all these things. And I, we got to stop yelling at refs. I, I really wish we could have went into that even more Yeah, because I just think that is something that is so extremely important because there's been, I've noticed a, a lack of respect for elders or losing respect yeah. for elders yeah. in sports, in life, in life, man. Like there's so, I just feel like there's way more of a lack of respect and how, how are those things ingrained in kids? How are they taught? for me, it was all through sports. It was all through, obviously my parents. And then, but I'm spending tons of time with my friends. It's both. You watch your yeah. parents in sports and they, right. If your parents are yelling at the refs, <laughs> you're yelling at the refs. If your coach are yelling at the refs, you're yelling at the refs. And you just, you have, you, you lose that respect for authority figures. And cause you've learned it for the last 15 years playing youth sports. And so it, it's a missed opportunity. And it, obviously it's hard. I have yelled at refs as a coach, 
Um, I really got good at stopping myself towards the end of when I was coaching a few years ago, because I just kept telling myself, like, it's about the kids. Like this, this guy, like you said on the podcast multiple times, these refs refing youth hockey, they're all amateurs. Yeah. None of them are professionals. This yeah. isn't a real job. You know, like, calm down people. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about respect for elders. I, I talk about this with my wife. We're obviously parents now. And by the way, um, I think I get a gold star because we did this conversation and, uh, right off of a four hour flight to Portland, Oregon to see some family with three kids under five. Two gold stars. Oh gosh. That was, uh, actually it wasn't too bad. My kids were pretty good on it. And, uh, but my wife and I talk about this and, and I wonder like if there's parents that are listening to this, if they talk about this too, or if they've thought about it, but like, you know, there's this, this balance that I feel like we need to strike. And my wife and I talk about it between respect for authority, but also standing up for what you believe in and what is right, yeah. you know? And, and that's a, that, that could be difficult at times because there are times where maybe you challenge authority a little bit more than you should, and you should have maybe a little bit res- more respect for your elders. And then there's other times where, you know, your elders are probably acting like idiots and you need to stand up for what you believe in and, and, stand up for yourself. You talk about players. We talk about that too. Like you got to be able to advocate for yourself and it's, it's delicate because I, I totally agree. Like the respect for authority and uh, like one of my, it's funny. Like one of my players, like last week, he called me bro, you know, not, not like in a de- derogatory way. It was like, bro, I was doing this. And I was like, did you just call me bro? <laughs> I would be called dead if, I, but you know, but like, that's how it kind of is. But right. Never would I have thought about calling my, coach dude or guy or whatever we said back in the day. Um, but it's, it's a, it's an interesting kind of balance that you have to, uh, when we talk about it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I call you bro all the time. So what's up? Bro. Bro. <laughs> hey, Throw me on the peeps, brah. Yeah. I went from bro to bra. Now it's bra. <laughs> Um, but Hey, I want to get to this conversation because this was one of our longer conversations and because it went to so many cool places. I mean, we talk about like, you know, how the game has changed and, and how refs have had to change with it and what he thinks about how the game has changed from back when he started in the NHL in the late nineties and, and to, to today. And so it's very, very different talking about, you know, obviously the ref shortage and, and parents and things like that. We talk about intangibles, you know, what makes a good ref for, for maybe some of the kids that are listening that want to be refs or even the parents, you know, that uh, <laughs> they can have some perspective. Like we talk about a lot on, on what makes a good ref and what they should look for when, when people are refing their kids games um, we talk about relationships with players relationships with officials and, and how to build those and how important those are and so it was just and then obviously we get into what what happened with him it, last year um, when when uh, he was relieved of his duties and I didn't realize it was like four weeks before he was going to retire either so that's just that stinks yeah man I was going to his last game and the party and everything I yeah just- yeah, crazy yeah, stuff. He, when he dropped some some names there about all the people who called him on on the day that I happened, know, I, I thought know. he was going to say Wayne Gretzky, Jeff Lavecchio, you know, like <laughs> up in there. But you know, I was down further on the list. You I were down way further on the list. Yeah, that's okay. Gretzky but, uh, was number one. One last thing that 
One last thing that I want to say before we finish with our sponsors here too, is Peelzy has been running the Tim Peel referee camp for the past couple of years in St. Louis. And I've been a part of it. I was a part of it. Uh, I was supposed to be a part of it before when COVID happened. And then I got to be a part of it last year um, when they resumed it. Um, he brings a bunch of kids in and they, they go through a whole weekend seminar and course. And I did off ice training with them and some testing. And um, you know, he's just trying to grow that. And he has a, he has a Twitter for that too. Um, and it's uh, just Tim Peel ref camp. So if there's anybody out there looking to get trained by, you know, a 22, 23, whatever it was, NHL uh, uh, year veteran referee, then uh, there's a camp that you could sign up for. Very, very cool. Yeah, that that's uh, I would go to that camp. I forget, like everybody should go to that camp, not even just people that want to be refs. I mean, what great perspective you can get, you know, as a parent, right? Like you're trying to teach your kids perspective and and um respect and things like that like what a camp to, to send your kids to and that's in st louis vex rectamundo tover bra <laughs> correct bra uh i love it well this was an awesome conversation we'll get to it um but before we do let's have a moment here to thank everybody that has supported us including our sponsors so vex gel sticks go GELSTX.com. Head to GELSTX.com. Gel Sticks covers you for all of your weighted training aid needs, lacrosse, golf, and obviously hockey. You can shoot with them. You can stick handle with them. You can do training drills in the gym, which is how I use them in the gym with my guys. My One of my clients, Chris Weidman, the KHL defenseman of the year for last season. Not a big deal. Uh, he warmed up with his gel stick every game of his khl season absolutely loved it the training staff knew they had to pack it for him on the road so if you're looking for those gelstx.com use our coupon code think tank one word think tank one word and you get a discount what's up dude that might have been your best one so far it was you know what great verbiage uh could have had a little more pep but i have both dogs trying to just run around me right now and so i'm <laughs> slightly distracted i like it well let's go to train heroic next train heroic is jeff's training app you can get it on your phone look up train heroic and then look up ripped hockey and i want to make sure i did this right because when we did our windy city roundtable last time i did the ad read or part of the ad read for train heroic and it's ripped hockey r-i-p-t and revolutionary individualized professional training personal performance training, training. performance That's, training did that, that change? is what i that is what i named it when i was a uh, young buck and a little <laughs> cocky coming out don't love what it stands for i just say yeah get the guys ripped what's up ripped hockey it is very you though it is very <laughs> you so let's not kid ourselves here yeah 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 you're kind of shy about it but you're really not we all totally know that up, everybody everybody who, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that and so yeah go look for jeff's workouts ripped hockey uh, and he has workouts for any kind of person whether you want to just get in shape whether you want to be a little bit healthier whether you're uh an elite athlete and jeff trains junior teams with this jeff trains individual people with this of all shapes sizes colors athletic abilities so the fantastic fantastic product there thousands of people have gotten this let me throw this in there too if there's any junior teams looking to get workouts for the rest of this season or for next year I've had tremendous success right now. I'm currently all online 
uh, the strength coach for the Tri-City Storm in the USHL, Youngstown Phantoms, USHL, Maryland Black Bears in the North American Hockey League, Team Maryland in the Eastern Hockey League, New Jersey 87s Eastern Hockey League, New Jersey 87s U18, Boston Junior Rangers in the EHL. Uh, I also worked with University of Southern Maine all of the offseason, a D3 school. So um, I can help you guys. Stop sending your players to CrossFit for the love of God, okay? Like, I can help you for way cheaper, and you'll get way more workouts, and you can fly me out there like Tri-City's done, but I'm just trying to help and make it cost-effective for everybody. There you go. Jeff Levecchio, man of the people. Man of the people. Thanks to IceHockeySystems.com as well. The best place to go for any coach, any player, any parent that wants to get a little bit more educated about the game. We have partnered with these guys to do an association platform and it is absolutely killing it. I'm telling you, if you are part of an organization, you need this because you get so many different resources for everybody that's a part of your organization. For coaches, you get whiteboard drills that you can draw yourself, send them out to your coaches, send them throughout your entire organization, send them to your players before practice. Um, you can store all of your practice plans. So all the coaches can go in and say, let's say Jeff Lavecchio is my favorite coach that I want to learn from. You can go to Jeff's page. You can go in there and see every practice plan that he's put together for all of the coaches within the organization. And so, uh, you also have like thousands of drills from these very, very well-qualified hockey people on there, um, that you can go and, and I don't want to say steal, but definitely steal and, and use in your practices. And then we also have partnered with them on the parent survival guide. So if you sign up for this association platform, you can send the survival guide for free to every single one of your parents. And just like we've talked about a lot on this podcast conversation with Tim Peel, uh, parent education is a very, very, very necessary part of the game, especially when it comes to the development of your children. So go to icehockeysystems.com, look for the associations platform and uh, get this for your association today. It's just going to make everybody better. So uh, thank you to them. And then last and most importantly, thank you to all of our listeners. Vex, we're coming up on 200 episodes here in the next couple of months or so. And it's uh, this has been a wild ride. And I, I didn't do it again. I said it on the last podcast, but we are definitely three years into this now. We started this at the beginning of November three years ago. And uh, we, we're going to have to look back to see when the anniversary is. And I forgot to do it before this episode, but... Um, this has been an absolute grind getting this done every week, but it's been so much fun to, to be able to do this and conversations with Tim are the reason why I learned a ton today. Vex learned a ton today. We had a lot of fun and we feel like everybody who listens to this is, is going to really enjoy this. So, um, we continue to do this and, and grind these out and, and have so much fun for, for you guys. And we hope we're making the hockey world a little bit of a better place. If you can, for us, please shoot us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today goes a long way to, to continue continue to legitimize. I mean, we get thousands of listeners every week and so many people that are asking about it and in so many different parts of not just the U S and Canada, but we've grown globally as well into, into Europe and even Asia. And so hockey's growing, we're growing, continue to help us out with that. And just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for all of the feedback. We love you guys. You're going to love this conversation here with uh, NHL referee, Tim Peel. So without further ado, here we go with Tim Peel. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
we are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's in the same hometown as a one Jehu Jeffrey Lavecchio, Tim Peel. Tim, how are we doing today? I'm good, Topher. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. And uh, sometimes when we get some people on here that uh, that Jeff knows very, very well or has worked with, we always kind of ask the guest if uh, you got a little something, maybe it's a little something embarrassing, maybe something funny about Vex. You got anything right off the bat that uh, make him blush a little bit? Well, I, no, the only thing that I'm embarrassed about is that when I broke my fibula back uh, December of 2019, and he got me back in time to, to complete the season three months later. And I was working out with him and I was in great shape. And then, of course, like most of my workouts, I got tired of doing it and I quit. And now I'm soft as, as butter now and it pisses me off. <laughs> but but I, I do get the, I do get the I get a big kick out of his Twitter and Instagram of him. And, and I think it's Kelly. Is it Kelly? Kylie, Kylie, yeah. and he's so in love, and it's like <laughs> I, I love it though. He's so happy. He's so happy, and, and I'm, I'm happy for him. And they seem to be a perfect couple. So it's funny. I'm in love, and I'm love, and I don't care who knows it. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's how I met Peelzy. Is Jonathan Taze was it right? Jonathan Taze yeah. fell on your ankle and snapped yeah. it, and. Uh, you know, a bunch of the guys in St. Louis that are pros recommended Peelzy that they, they train with me. And I think, I uh-huh. think we got you back like four weeks earlier than they told you yeah. to be back too. Like you were yeah. a savage man. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Like I, uh, and I had actually looked at a couple other trainers, you know, I didn't know back and I knew some of the hockey guys that had uh, trainers that had worked out with other guys and, and everybody's like, you got to see this guy. And, and we built this new rink and obviously, you know, Topher Jeff's got his workout facility there and I'd see this, this chiseled man walking around all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh I'm my like, god, his head's big enough, please. <laughs> and and so anyway, I I went in there and I had a boot on for the first probably four weeks, and he'd still get me do all these exercises, even with the boot on, and and uh, working on upper body, and and I wasn't scheduled to return you know, maybe by April 1st, but anyway, I, I, I made it back for March the 1st. And then unfortunately COVID hit two weeks later and the season was canceled, but yeah, he was a huge reason why I got back and we'll get back in the gym soon back. Yeah. You better. I, know. <laughs> I need to. Very, very T- cool. Tisha, Tisha liked it a lot better when I was working out with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's motivation. <laughs> There we go. There we go. Well, um, I do want to get into a little bit of your background, but you talk about guys that work with Vex. And before we hit record here, we talked about Joseph Wall, who's a, a St. Louis kid getting his first shutout uh, with Toronto here this weekend. And I kind of wanted to ask you guys from like both of your points of view, because Tim, you refed in the NHL for a long time. You know, we had talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, just being out there for some people's big moments and things like that. But Vex for you, I just want you to talk a little bit about Joseph Wall, because like the way that you talk about him i don't think i've ever heard you talk about other people like that so i think it would be kind of cool to hear um for the kids out here just kind of his story and how you think of him in the weight room and then tim just piggybacking off of him just how cool that is for a ref to kind of be a part of some of those kind of big moments for for some of those kids getting the nhl yeah i mean i started training joe when his mom was having to drop him off at the gym um so he was like 15 and a half i think the first year so i think we've been together training for like eight years he's been with me almost the whole time i've had my company and he was the first player that started training with me that 
was like really, really good. Like he was my first, like, wow, this guy has a shot at, at doing something in hockey, whether that's for sure, probably division one and then maybe beyond. Um, and he started training with me like a year before he was going to USA and TDP and like an absolute sponge, like everything I said to him, like everything, like try this, let's do this, let's do this. He literally, and then he just, every year he got more and more involved in his own career and his own development. And literally like we had this guy, like he does, he does visual training with other trainers now in St. Louis that I hooked him up with. He does like um, physical therapy sessions once or twice a week with this guru named Sally, who's unbelievable via um, Zoom and FaceTime. And sometimes they let me sit in him he trains with me he skates he has a goalie coach like this guy does everything he possibly can and it's so cool to see somebody who literally has sold the farm on a dream and on a goal and then for him not only to make it to the nhl get drafted and then make it to the nhl and play his first game get a win but now in his second game he gets a shutout it's just it's so deserved um it's so cool and it's just really really great to see guys get rewarded but it's for me it's just Anyone who puts everything into something, it's just, it's awesome to see them reap the rewards. You know what? And, and Topher, I, I, what, to, to piggyback off what Jeff said is we, we've, and Jeff, we both have known a lot of players in the past that have had maybe a higher skill set than other guys and drafted higher and they don't make it for whatever reason. And you see these kids now, if they want it, you know, I, I'm, at, I'm at the rink three, four days a week and I see all these guys training with Jeff, whether it's college or the North American League or college hockey in St. Louis. It's those, they're, they're at least putting themselves in a position where if they never make it, they can honestly look themselves in the themselves in the eye and say, you know what, I did what I could, and and that's what it takes now. Everyone can skate. Everyone can skate in the NHL. You know, I used this analogy the other day. I said the only difference between the the fourth line of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the first line is skill set. I said Jonathan Tavares isn't as good a skater as some of the third and fourth liners. JT's not a great skater. He's a good skater, but but the third and fourth liners, are, I guarantee you, are better skaters than him as far as speed and getting you know end to end. But obviously, his skill set is what sets him apart. So all these kids, they they can skate and so on, but it's the little things like Jeff said, and nutrition and working out and wanting it and doing the, vis the visual training and all these things and. You know, there's a lot of money to be made now in the National Hockey League. These kids are 20 years old and they're millionaires already. So they're investing in their future by investing in the summertime and workout programs where in the past it wasn't really taken as serious. So for sure. And I think it's skill set and, and even adding on to that mindset, too. You know, I think like these I've, I've had so many different conversations with NHL, whether it's GMs, assistant GMs, player development people. And I ask that question all the time. Like, what's the difference between an AHLer and an NHLer? like a full time yeah. AHLer and a full time NHLer, or somebody that goes up and down? Like, I just, it's basically like predictability. Like, I know what I'm going to get from this person every day. And if they just they show up and they show up on time and they work hard and they do the little things. They do what's asked. They accept the role that they've been given. Um, maybe they have to reinvent their game a little bit, but they're just coachable and you know what you're going to get out of them. And when you do, when you have that mentality, like mm -hmm. every team needs a different kind of player and you can fit a certain role. I just, you got to show up and you got to do the work. You got to do the little things and he just puts you and like how you talk about Joe, like, 
he's somebody that never left the stone unturned. He was going to get that 1% as cliche as it is. He was going to get that 1% better every day. I had, funny, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I had an advising um, client that I met with him and his family here in St. Louis yesterday, Tof, and I swear to God, that is literally exactly what I said. I don't think I used the word predictability because I didn't go to Cornell like yourself. Um, I, I, I just said at the, every level you go up, they're looking for more and more consistency and they want to know what they're going to get out of you day in and day out. And those are the guys that they're going to keep bumping up levels is what the coaches that when it becomes their jobs, they need to know from each player, like I'm going to get this out of him. 99.9% of the time, as opposed to maybe somebody who's a little flashier, but you, they're not always consistent. They don't do the little things to make sure that they're ready to play and all these other things, but yeah, it's consistency. It's everything. You know, and, it, and you touched on the work ethic, Topher. I, I worked till I was 55, and most officials work till they're 52, 53. And I remember I signed my last contract. It was a four-year deal, and I was supposed to retire at 54. And I still felt like I had some gas in the tank, but I was still good with that, 54. And, you know, uh, 20, that would give me 22 years. And then my boss came to me my second to the last year of that contract. And he's like, Hey, would you come back for another season to work with the younger guys? And he goes, your work ethic is what I want to teach these younger guys. And I, I did some little things that I don't want to say it was smoke and mirrors, but when we would have a stoppage in play, we had an icy and the puck crossed the line. And I was the front referee downward, the puck crossed the line for an icy and the whistle blew the linesman blew it. I would skate as fast as I can, could like Ray Scampanello, the old linesman used to skate. Okay. I would skate as fast as I could from one end to the other. And I'd go right in front of both the benches and they'd all be looking at me. And I remember one night I was in Arizona and Brian Boucher, who's color analyst now for TNT. He said to me, he goes, he was in net and he was in Arizona and he goes, man, you're working hard out here, PLZ. I go, yeah, I'm working. But I guarantee you that was the perception from the players. They perceived that I worked hard, that I came to work every night. And there was, I'm not saying I cheated, but I, I, there were little things that you could do to make yourself stand out above everybody else. And sure enough, it got me another year in the NHL because my bosses recognized the fact that I worked hard every night. And you mentioned it earlier was consistency. That's all they look for at any level in hockey. You know, I, I never worked the Stanley cup finals, but for my entire career, the only year that I didn't work the playoffs was my first year in the league. And so for 21, 22 years, I worked the playoffs every year and they, and they only take 20 of the top 34 refs or 20 of the, of the 34 refs. So they take the top 20 and the rest go home. And, but they knew we can put Tim Peel in the playoffs, whether it's first round, second round, third round, whatever, because we know he's consistent. We know we can trust him. And whether it's an official or a player, you have to develop that consistency that the coaches can say, you know what, I can put him out there. I can put him out in any, uh, time of the game in any situation because I know I can trust them. That's awesome. Yeah. Amen. That probably got you. That probably like <laughs> kept you in the game though, too. Like doing that, that full ice sprint, you know, it was, it was just, 
I used you know to what? rap when I was a kid and sometimes, and obviously it was like when I was a kid, but like, I, I would always like, sometimes I would just like fall asleep during the play. Like, cause you're like trying to focus on like, as a linesman, I'm like just looking at the line so hard, right. that I'm like, uh, like moving or anytime I would do stuff like that when I was refing, I felt way more engaged in the game. You know, I try to tell Bronson, my nine-year-old, I said, you need to play, you need to play like you practice. You need to practice like you're going to play, like it's a game. I said, Sidney Crosby, Nate McKinnon, Patrice Bergeron, they practice their asses off every practice. You just can't, you cannot in any sport, and especially hockey, kind of go through the motions of practice and then say, you know what, I'm going to flip the switch and I'm going to work hard in the game. It doesn't work like that because your body uh, gets trained like, whether I was working a game in South Florida, Columbus, Arizona, maybe where there was 5,000 people, or I was working at Hockey Night in Canada in Montreal or in Toronto when the whole country was watching, I made sure the last, especially the last 10 to 15 years, that I developed that work ethic. It didn't matter what building I was working in. And that's why the bosses liked it because it didn't matter. It didn't have to be hockey night in Canada. It could be in, a, in front of 5,000 people, but I did it every night because then it just became habit. Then I just, I never even had to think about going out there and working hard because it just came part of my repertoire and what I was used to. You, you get nervous for like a, like, is it like a player where, where you're on a big stage, like hockey night in Canada? Are you going in there and you get a little bit nervous? Cause you know, it's going to be all over every household in Canada. And you know, is it, the stadium's going to be packed. How, how is that? Yeah. The only two times that I was ever nervous and, and it's funny because my, I don't know why, why it was both, both times. It was my left leg was my first NHL game. I was in Ottawa and during the national anthem, my leg wouldn't stop shaking it was just shaking just my left leg just shaking there and then about five minutes in I got a penalty and then all of a sudden I was like calm I was everything was good and then my first playoff game was in San Jose and Wayne Gretzky was coaching Arizona at the time and you know the shark tank back in the day man it was rocking like you'd come out of that tunnel and you've seen it on TV everyone swinging the white towels and the place is just going and I'm like, holy shit, this, this isn't New Brunswick, Canada anymore. You know, like this is, and same thing. I remember I was standing down by the net. My leg just wouldn't stop shaking, shaking. And then all of a sudden I got a penalty and then it calmed me down. And then after that, whether it was hockey night in Canada, Montreal, or, or a playoff game, it wasn't nervous. It was like, let's go. Like my first, not my first, but one of my, one of the playoff games I remember the most, it was it was uh, the last time Philly and the Rangers have played uh, seven games in a playoff series. And I got chosen to do game seven. So as a ref, you're like really pumped because there's a lot of guys sitting at home and they feel you're working the best and we're going to put you into game seven because it's the most important game. And I was working with Chris Rooney and it's an hour and a half before the game at Madison Square Garden. And all you could hear for an hour and a half was let's go Rangers, let's go the whole time. And you're in, it gives me chill, gives me chills right now. And then you come out of that tunnel and they're going crazy. You're like, let's, let's, let's go boys. Like this is freaking go time. Like this, this is what, this is why I love this job, you know? And people don't understand that. They're like, ah, he's a ref. He must be a nerd. You know, he wasn't good enough to play. Right. <laughs> and, and, but you come out and that, and that, 
uh, uh, atmosphere and you're like, this is the second best thing to play. And I'm on the ice with, with these guys. And it was fun. I loved it. I loved every minute of, of it, except the last couple of years. I, I didn't love it the last two years. I still love the games. Uh, I love the competition. But as Vec knows, you know, how close I am with my, you know, my family. I just hated being away from them. Bronson's a good hockey player. I'm watching them on Live Barn on my laptop. I'm, I'm missing out on Halloween. I'm missing out on school recitals. I'm missing out on birthdays because I'm traveling all the time. And that's when it really hit me just the last couple of years. It was fine when they were one to five. But then when they were six, seven, eight, nine, it's like, okay, they, they need their dad home, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. And we're definitely going to get to that here. I just want to defend you for a second here because I know a lot of people do think, oh, the refs are just nerds. Peels, he's one of the biggest beauties I've ever met. He's <laughs> such a good dude. This guy is anything but a nerd. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You know what? And the refs, too, we always joked when there was you know, 28, 29, 30 teams in the league. They kept adding on. We were like, we were always the 31st team. And now we're the 33rd team because, you know, we're a team like we're, you know, we go to battle every night. We got to have each other's back out there. We're in the dressing room before the game. We're having lunch together. We're in the gym hotel, working out together. We're traveling together. We're getting together for cocktails afterwards. Like we're a tight group where, you know, we care about each other and we, we want to, you know, if somebody, has a bad night we want to make them feel good and try to pick up the slack because there's nights where guys are sick and they've got the flu and but they just can't stay in there they got to come come and go to work and or they might have got in at four at, you know four in the afternoon because their flight got delayed and they were coming in you know from wherever and they're exhausted but they got to bring their a game on the ice because that's what the league expects you to do so we're a tight group and all you know my best friends that that I have to this day are from, from guys that I came up with. That's awesome. I like how you put that, the 33rd team. That's it's true. Yeah. I remember yeah. watching, uh, I don't know if it was, you know, one of those HBO, I forget what they're called when they go at the winter classic and they kind of go behind oh, the yeah. scenes and stuff, you know, and they actually put a camera in the rest room uh, before and after the games and stuff. And guys were, you know, having a few blood, bud lights after the game and, you know, yeah. and he was just like, Oh man, that's so true. Like these are actually people. <laughs> you know? know. Vec, Vec, we don't Vec think about it that way. <laughs> Vec, Vec won't like this, but the last couple of years, because all the all we've got so many young refs on staff now that because we've had older guys retiring like myself and and these guys are just like the young players now they're just studs they're all in great phenomenal shape they are most of the guys that work in the nhl now that have been hired the last two three years are ex-players guys from the american league east coast league college hockey whatever and so we'd come in off the after the game and it's kind of always the younger guys spot or the rookie to see who wants a beer and and of course every game they're like peels you want a beer i go yeah yeah and i'd be sucking a couple of them back and they're making their protein shakes and dr drinking their shakes and i'm sucking them <laughs> back. Like, awesome. so but they're doing it the right way they're, they're taking care of their body i wish i probably should have done that a lot longer but that's back called years the ago, bl smoothie the bl smoothie yeah the Bud Bud Light 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 Light. Light. exactly <laughs> Food night. I like it. <laughs> well, Tim, uh, you know, this has been awesome so far and I have so many questions for you. I, Vex, I don't think we've had a ref on here um, to, to talk about 
ref stuff, yeah. um, which, uh-huh. which is way, 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 way. And by way, I mean, way too way overdue. Yeah. Um, because especially the state that the game is in and in, in youth hockey right now. And I do want to get to some of that stuff, but before we got on here, you got such an interesting story and, and how you got to where you got to, and, you know, you were born in Toronto and, and spent your, uh, spent your childhood in New Brunswick. And for us American friends, it's in Eastern Canada, uh, New Brunswick. So, um, if you can just, uh, tell us mm-hmm. like how you grew up and, and how you fell in love with this great game. Yeah. So I was born in Toronto and, uh, was put up for adoption and a few months later was adopted. Our, the family then moved to New Brunswick and grew up in a trailer park. And, you know, that was kind of embarrassing in high school when you're inviting your girlfriend back to your trailer park. It wasn't very cool. And it kind of bothered me growing up because a lot of my friends, they lived in nice homes and so on. And I never had sleepovers at my house, you know, at my trailer, because I was embarrassed to have people over to, you know, sleep over in my trailer. And so that kind of bothered me growing up, but I, we, we grew up beside a golf course and we were, you know, the, I always joke that the land, the land on the other side of the highway was the private country club and the land on the other side of the highway was the trailer park. And so one day uh, I was the summertime and mom and dad were like, hey, you know, of course, I was a kid and I was bored. I got nothing to do. And they're like, hey, there's a golf tournament going on at the, at the country club. Why don't you go see if you can get a caddying job? So I walked across, uh, talked to the, the system pro, asked if I could get a caddying job. And he's like, no, they're all the tournaments all teed off. And so I was just kind of standing on the balcony watching it. And he came up about 15, 20 minutes later. He goes, do you want a caddy for the head pro this afternoon? I go, yeah, I'd love to. Now, this was in 1979. I was 13 years old. And at the end of the at the end of the round, this uh, head pro peeled off a hundred dollar bill. That was a lot of money back then, a lot of money. And he just took a liking to me and I became his caddy for the rest of the summer. I caddy for him every week and he'd take me away on tournaments and, and I made a lot of, you know, I made good money. Then eventually promoted me to the pro shop and cleaning clubs and so on. So then the wintertime rolled around and I missed having to spend the money. And the town I grew up in, Hampton, New Brunswick, at the time, it's probably only three or 4,000 now, but at the time it was a town of 1,500 people. And we had one rink, no traffic lights. Like it was a small town. So everybody hung out at the rink and everybody played hockey, you know? And so I was 13. I was probably playing peewee at the time. And mom and dad were like, well, if you miss the spend of money, why don't you referee the, you know, six, seven, eight year old. So that's how I got into it. Just doing it strictly for spending money. Then I did it on through college and kind of in my early twenties. And then the American hockey league was really big. In the Mar- we call it the Maritimes, New Brunswick for any of our American friends is right above me. Yep. And we had a lot of teams. We had the Fredericton Express, were Montreal's team. We had Cape Breton Oilers, they were Edmonton's team. We had Nova Scotia Voyagers, they were Montreal's uh, or uh, uh, Edmonton, Montreal, somebody's team. St. John Flames, they were Calgary's firm team. We had a lot of teams in the American Hockey League. So I was the local linesman because I was working at a bank. And I was the local linesman. So the NHL contract officials would fly in from Toronto or wherever, and they'd come into the Maritimes and and work two or three games. And I was the local linesman in St. John and Moncton. I'd do the games and then go with them after and get paid, you know, 75 bucks a game or a hundred bucks, whatever it was. It wasn't much. So I started working with these guys and then I'm like, you know what? 
I think I'm as good as them. Like, I think I could make it. So I wrote a letter to the NHL. This was in like 92, 93. And I got a letter back because I was 5'10 at the time. And still am, but I was 5'10. And they're like, sorry, you're too small. We're, we're only hiring big officials. Because if you remember in the early 90s and the late 90s, you you didn't make it like you didn't have Clayton Keller's back playing in the NHL. Oh, I know, have, Tim. You, I know. I know. Typically challenged you, over here. <laughs> okay. You didn't have Connor Garland's playing in the NHL. It just didn't happen. You know, you'd look at that Legion of Doom line in, in, in Philly with Leclerc, Renberg, and Lindros. And so they were they weren't only hiring they did not even think they didn't even look at hiring a linesman unless you were six foot and same with the referees. They wanted them big. And so then my big break got became when the company I actually worked for in New Brunswick transferred me to Toronto and I got into the OHL. And then because back when I was coming up, they didn't have the, the Quebec league wasn't in the Maritimes. So they didn't scout for officials down there. Now we've got, we've got a lot of kids from the Maritimes that are in the NHL now as referees. I think we've got seven or eight, nine guys, but at the time they pretty much uh, scouted for refs in the Quebec league in just in Quebec and the Ontario hockey league and the Western hockey league. So when I broke into the OHL, I was lucky enough my first year as a ref, I went right to the finals as, a, as in the first year. So then I got, I was on their radar. I was on, so then Brian Lewis and John D'Amico and these ex guys that you were longtime officials that worked for the league. They then came to me that summer and said, Hey, we want to hire you as what we call an NHL trainee. You're not full-time by the NHL. We'll pay you per game, but we're going to send you down to the international hockey league, the old IHL. And that was fun. You know, we're in Kalamazoo and Fort Wayne Comets and all these, all these towns and Chicago Wolves and, and bench clearing brawls back then. Kansas City Blades had a team and it was fun. And then you cut your teeth there for a couple of years. And then they came to me in 1998 in the summer and said, you know, we want to hire you to, and it was, it was funny because that year it was 98 and I was making good money at the bank. I had a good sales job. I was making about 160 grand a year, making good money, big expense account. And I'll never forget it. I was downtown Toronto. I was with my girlfriend at the time. It was, it was a Friday afternoon and Brian Lewis called me, goes, we want to hire you to a contract. And and he says, you can take the weekend to think about it because I know you have a good job and let us know on Monday. And he goes, starting salary, you'll be in the American Hockey League, starting salary is 56 grand. And I said, Mr. Lewis, I said, I don't, I don't have to think about it. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And, and I went into the office Monday and, and put in my notice because that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work nine to five. I didn't want to work at a bank. I wanted to referee hockey. And, and I felt confident enough in my ability that if I was good enough down there, that I'd be up top in a couple of years and then make them, you know, money that I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't want taking to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unreal. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, pushing so all the chips fun. in, just like you talked about, Avax. Eh, pushing all the Unre chips in. I, I literally put an Instagram story out today about that exact thing, PLZ. I literally said on my Instagram, like, people always message me all the time, like, well, how are you so happy? Or the guys in the gym are like, Vex, it's 5 a.m., calm down. And and I, I always say, like, I do what I love if the world ended tomorrow. Like, I did what I loved 
you know, today and the day before and the day before I'm around the people I love, like, and, and if you do what you love and you practice that stuff, the money will come to you because you'll love doing it. You'll be more invested. You're going to work harder because you like what you're doing versus doing a job you hate. I mean, you gave up a hundred extra grand, but look at the long-term payoff of that. I mean, that's, that's so cool. Well, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, going back to it and what a great experience it, it had to have been all those years. And, and especially like, you know, getting into it and pushing all the chips in and, and then you get the chance to ref in the playoffs, ref the Olympics, ref in an all-star game. I mean, that's, that's really, really cool. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about was you mentioned, you mentioned some of those bench clearing brawls back in like the early nineties and things like that. And hockey has changed so much since then, especially after the rule changes in, in 2005. And I, I wanted to, to ask you from a ref's point of view, what that's been like for you guys, because, you know, us, I mean, we were kind of in college, right? Vex, when the rule changes started to kind of take effect and um, the game was changing a little bit. And I have to imagine that the way you guys ref changed a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts of like where the game is at today? And what are your thoughts on just like comparing that to how you had to ref way back in the day before that? No, that's a good question. And, and I, my answer, and this isn't to, to promote or, or say how good our guys are right now and how tough it is, but it was easier to ref in the, in the seventies and eighties. You were, you, you were expected if you, if, Koharski was going out in a game seven or any playoff game back then in the early 80, uh, uh, mid to late eighties and the early nineties, you might see two penalties the entire game. And it was one penalty against one team and one penalty against the other team. So they both had one power play, but, but nobody said anything because they didn't have 15 cameras. Like uh, there were the, there were these guys, sweet knocks, Mick Magoo, these guys, when they broke into the league, they would have a a game in LA. And if there was an incident where, you know, if they had to, somebody was possibly going to get suspended and so on, they literally had to go down to the office and get a copy of the uh, the, uh, VHS tape, overnight it or courier it to Toronto for hockey ops to look at the play because not all games were televised in Los Angeles at the time. This is the honest to God's truth. So it would take a couple of days for the VHS tape to get there. They would look at it. Nobody even in the world knew what happened because we didn't have social media. We didn't, we didn't have, you know, games are on ESPN tonight, TNT tomorrow. Every game is televised and you can watch it on your phones. You can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it anywhere. So the guy said, not that it, and I hate saying easier because it was really tough to referee back then. But now, like, I don't know how many shows I've been on the last few weeks and everyone wants to bring up why Connor McDavid isn't drawing more penalties. It's unbelievable. It's like, and, but that is, that is promoted by social media. You know, when, when there's a call miss now in the NHL, it is tweeted out within seconds and then it goes viral. Millions of people see it and instantly they go, the refs in the NHL suck. And I, I said to somebody the other day, I don't know why it is with hockey more so than any other sport, but it seems that 
refereeing in the NHL has is more scrutinized. You just don't really hear about it. You know, we hear the odd call in the NFL, like that one in the Super Bowl against New Orleans a few years ago. Like there's the, there's the odd call here and there, but it's not every week. I turned on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night. They were talking about NHL officiating, Kevin Bieksa, um, Ron McLean, and somebody else. They were talking about NHL. They, it's all anyone talks about is, and it's been that way for as long as I've been around. And I don't know why it is, and I truly believe this, that it is the toughest sport to officiate because everybody says I got beat up because I, I did an interview the other day and I said, if people think that, they, that the ref should call the game by the rule book, then they're unrealistic. And I didn't finish off the rest of that sentence. So what I should have said was, if you want us to call the rules by verbatim every game, then we're going to have 30 penalties a game. There is some judgment out there. There's some, that's what makes a good official is when to call a penalty. I'm not talking about a slash on the hands, a hook when there's a scoring opportunity, but if there's a little trip in the neutral zone and there's not a change of possession and that team keeps the puck, we, that's how you become a good official is knowing when to call a penalty and knowing when not to call a penalty. And trust me, the players don't want you calling 30 penalties a game. I guarantee you the coaches don't. I know the GMs don't. So when people say, I see it on social media all the time, just call it by the rule book. Just, well, these people have never played the game before. They've never played it at a high level. They don't understand what it's like to be in the, in the NHL. That's They've so never ref the game. Like refing, honestly, like refing was harder for me than playing. Like refing yeah. is hard. Everyone in the building hates you. Every single, your mom's watching the game. She hates you because you <laughs> made the wrong call. Grandma's chirping you like everybody hates you no matter what you call one of the teams is going to be upset with the call and and like you said you can't call the game to be the rule book because you'd be calling a penalty literally every five seconds i think there'd be more than 30 penalties yeah if you called it exactly yeah and that's one of the things like we talk about vex you and i all the time is like how important intangibles are Right. And, and I have to imagine it's the same thing for the ref. Like the best players have a really good feel for the game. They, right. they understand it and, and they can put themselves in situations that are going to make them successful and things like that. And I feel like the best refs just have really, really good intangibles uh, about that. So like, if you could, and I, you just spoke to it a little bit, but like, what are some of those intangibles that refs, maybe, maybe younger refs, can feel like they need to learn and maybe coaches that are out there, they can help the refs, you know, by saying, you know, helping them through a game or things like that. What are, what are some of those intangibles that are really important? So before I answer that question, I want to read you a message. So we're on this, we're on this group me for our central States team and Jamal Mayers and I coached the team together and we were in Chicago this past weekend. We won two games. We lost one and everyone was blaming the officials after the game. And so this one dad sends out a picture of a play last night. And I mean, the puck literally is that far from the blue line. It, it probably is offside, but he wants to blame the refs. And his snapshot that he sent out was, it was his son on defense, okay? And that's <laughs> got scored a cut. And so I sent out, a, I responded, I, I waited, but I go, that offside is a tough call for NHL linesmen, let alone amateur officials. We need to focus our team. We need to focus on our team and not the officiating. Good teams do not complain about referees. 
And I, I told this analogy the other day. I said to Barry Trotz in, in Long Island last year, I said, I would referee your team 82 games a year. And the whole bench is listening. It was like the last time I was probably going to see them. And Trotsy's like, why is that? Pilsy? I said, I never hear from you. And if I do, it's probably because I have messed up and you asked me to come over and ask, ask for me. But I said, officials are not your focus. The, your players, officials are not their focus. Their focus is to go out there and play. And more coaches and players, and, and Jamal and I have talked about this, because I yelled at refs at the beginning of the year and I caught myself. I'm like, I cannot yell at, at, at officials anymore. And, and if you need, because when you start to do that, you lose focus, your players lose focus and it's just not good. And it's not good and healthy. So, um, but going back to your, your question about what makes a good official and things, it was, it was probably when I first came in the league, Topher, it was in 1998, or year 2000, 98, 99, I was in the minors, 2000. We just went to the two referee system. And I came in, I'm working with Koharski, Frazier, McCreary, Mick Magoo, you know, these legends that have been around forever. And I felt like I needed to make a name for myself. And I kicked out Steve Eiserman in a game in Nashville, my first year in the league. And, and wow. one of one of the biggest, yeah, one of the biggest regrets that I have. And I, I did it because I, I felt like I had to make a name for myself because I was a young official coming up and I was cocky. I was a little bit arrogant, um, probably insecure because I'm working with all these, these legends and I said to my boss, Stephen Wacom, about six, seven, eight years ago, I said, I wish I, the last 10 years, 10, 12 years of my career, I wish I was that ref that started out. And even though I had some success and so on, but I, I wasn't, I was arrogant. I, like I said, I was arrogant. I was cocky. I, I, I and then the last, last 10, 12 years, I was more approachable. I'd let things roll off my back. I, I, if somebody yelled, I, you know, I remember one night it was Yuri Hoodler in Detroit. He, Yuri had been around a long time. He was just yelling at me. And I, and I went over, I said, Yuri, I said, you and I have been around for a long time. I go, let's not yell at each other. Let, let's just talk about it and get along. And he goes right away. He goes, yeah, Pilsy, I'm sorry. But we still have some referees that want to yell at players um and they're not well liked in our league the players don't like them they don't respect them and that's why some of them have we have guys that have never worked a playoff game because they they just don't have the communication skills and you need communication skills like somebody asked me the other day what coaches did I not get along with and I said I got along with with all of them I said I said yeah there were nights where you know they'd get under my skin and I'd get under their skin but I go I always tried to build a relationship with them because if I needed something and things where the fire was starting to get hot and I needed to cool things down, I could go over to the bench and talk to Alain Vino or talk to Tortorella or talk to, you know, uh, uh, Joel Quenville, you know, some of the great coaches and that, that 
coach in our game and go over and and because I had a good relationship, I could bring the temperature down. And that was that's the job of a referee when things are starting, when the shit is starting to hit the fan. I've got to find a way to bring the temperature down and, and get everybody back on the same page again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I got two questions out of that, PLZ. Like, number one would be from a coach and a player perspective, is there a right way to talk to a ref, to approach a ref, um, you know, at any time during the game, not at the beginning, like things are getting heated or think, or, or something like that. And then two, from the ref's perspective, is there anything you can do before the game to, um, I, I don't know, like endear yourself to the coaching staff. So maybe they're not just shitting on you the whole game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is there, yeah. you can like ninja them. So like you come up and talk to them before and maybe be more personable. So then they're more apt to do, you know, talk to them the way you're at, however you're going to answer here. Yeah. So there, there, there was uh Bruce Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreaux, um, you know, has, has been a really good coach in our league for a long time. You know, he, he's now doing TV work, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a job again. Bruce Boudreaux played a little bit for the Toronto Maple Leafs and, but primarily played in the American hockey league. And he was, you know, we know, you know, Bruce is a little overweight, and, but he was kind of like that as a player, I guess, in his early 20s and so on. He was always a little chubby and it was always kind of his knock. But he would go down to the American Hockey League and he put up 50 goals every year. So he was playing for the Moncton Hawks in the American Hockey League, they're a Toronto's farm team. And there was this bar in Moncton, it was called Ziggy's. And every team that came into town loved going to Ziggy's. We had all these beautiful French women. It was a French town. And they they still talk about Ziggy's to this day. They loved it. So, and I'd see him out in, in Moncton and he'd have the fur coats on and he'd be walking into the bar and Ziggy's. <laughs> so when I would see him in the NHL games, I would, I'd skate around and I'd stop at the bench. I'd go, Hey, because they call him Gabby. I go, Gabby, remember those days in Moncton? He used to wear the fur coats and the Ziggies. And he'd go, Would you get just get out of here? You know, he'd get out of here and he'd lie, he'd be chuckling, right? But it broke the ice and it, and he he he's like, oh, Peels, he's a good guy. I can talk to him. And and it was the same thing with uh with Tortorella. We had a there was a time, it was a few years ago, Nick Felino, uh, I was calling a game in Montreal and he was playing for Columbus and he said that I didn't respect him. And he said it two or three times that he was going to the box. And it really bothered me because when I was in the American Hockey League, Mike Foligno um, was his father, who was a legendary guy for Toronto. And he was coaching Hershey at the time. This is well before Marcus and Mike were in the, in the league. And he was tremendous to me. I'd mess up calls in the American League. He'd be, Head coach of Hershey, which was Colorado's farm team, he'd always be good to me. Timmy, don't worry about it. We're all learning down here and so on. So when Marcus and Nick came up to the NHL, 
I always had a soft spot for both of them because of, of their dad. So when Nick said that, it really bothered me, and especially because Nick was the leader of that Columbus team. You know, Nick was a guy I needed on my side because when things you always needed the the guys that that led the team. If you don't have the leader on your side, like Joe Thornton, I always said Joe on my side. I left him in Sault Ste. Marie. I could do no wrong with Joe. And if things started to go south, I could go to Joe and talk to him. And the same thing with Nick. And so it bothered me for two or three weeks. And I had a game in Columbus. And before the game, I go down an hour and a half for the game. And I knock on Torts's office and I ask if I can speak to, if he can go get Nick and him and Brad Shaw and Torts's office. And so Shazi goes and gets Nick and Nick comes in and I go, I go, you, you said that I didn't respect you in Montreal. I go, it really bothered me, Nick, because you know my relationship with your dad. You know how much I've liked you and Marcus since you've come in the league. And for you to say that it really is completely untrue because I, you're the leader of this team. I have more respect for you than you'll ever know. And right away, he's like, I'm sorry, PLZ. And he gives me a hug. And then we were like golden after that. But he leaves the room. And Torts goes, that was awesome. Because Torts is old school, right? He goes, that is awesome. We need more of that. We need more of our officials to be able to communicate, to talk like that with players. And But it takes a long time to, you almost learn and you'll never learn everything. But you almost get to a point where you feel really, really comfortable and then it's time to retire because you keep learning every year. You'd learn a new trick every year, you know, how to communicate with this guy and how to communicate with that guy. And you, you know, just like in life, you, you don't treat everybody the same, you treat everybody the same, but like on our hockey team, you know, I realized a couple, two years ago that the more I yell at my son Bronson, the more he shuts down. I got to give him, and it bugs me because I was always grinded when I was growing up and, and kicked in the ass and I would respond to it, but everybody's different. He doesn't respond to it that way. He needs to be, you know, encouraged and so on. And then we have other kids on our team that like to be grinded. So it's just like in the NHL, everybody wants to be, you know, you, you need to figure out the, the trigger point for everybody and, and how you can get your point across. And there's some players, like I remember Adam Foote was playing for Colorado and, we were going up the ice one night. He goes, you know, F you peels. I go F you footer, F you peels, the F you footer the whole way up the ice. Like we, <laughs> it's all we're saying it to each other the whole way up the ice. Cause Adam foot was tough. He was Sounds mean. like a family guy skit a little bit. Yeah, it does. yeah. He was tough. He was mean. He was intense. And he comes out, he goes off and he comes out the next shift and he taps me on the ass. He goes, we all good peels? I go, yeah, of course we're all good. And, but that's the way it was back then. That's how you could kind of communicate. And, and but now you can't, You're, you know, first of all, there's too many cameras. There's too many microphones. Social media would, would tear the player up. They take tear the official up. You know, I had got caught on tape a couple of times saying, you know, I remember to James Neal, it was like, it was in Boston and I gave him an embellishment penalty because I felt he had done it a couple of times to me. And I go, F you, you're getting an embellishment penalty. And the microphone, it was like it was implanted in my rear end because it was as clear as a bell, right? And of course, that went viral, you know, and it still is on to this day. So we, we as officials have to communicate different now than what was expected years or accepted years ago with the players. Now you just can't communicate that way. Well, talking about hot mics, I guess we should 
go into the the question of the <laughs> of the day. Most people who are going to listen to this probably know how how your career ended there with with the mm-hmm. hot mic situation. So let's go over that. I mean, I, obviously, Toph and I played pro hockey and played hockey a long time, and we completely understand the situation. But uh, I know you're a good sport, and you'll you'll. Uh, oh yeah, that's. Your- so it was funny because you know that uh, Andy Strickland and I and Jamal Mayers were doing a, a radio show on Tuesdays here in the Fan 590 in St. Louis. And when we did our first one, it Strick goes, you know, welcome to the show, Peelzy and Jammer. He goes, how are you feeling today, Peelzy? I go, well, I said, I'm a little nervous. I said, I woke up in the middle of the night around 4 a.m. I said, I had sweats, I had a rash, I had highs all over me because the last time I got in front of a microphone, I said, it didn't work out too good for me. And they started laughing. <laughs> and, That's awesome. and so, so no, it was, it was like that night, you know, my comment was I, I wanted to get an F and penalty against Nashville. And, and just to give you a little backdrop, like, first of all, we called two penalties against Nashville the entire game. So obviously, and that was one of the two. But before the game, uh, I wasn't going to see a Nashville again uh, in my career. And there was a, a longtime equipment manager, Pete Rogers, who was in Rochester. And and uh, when I was starting out, and then he was with Nashville forever. And I've known Pete for 30 years. So that afternoon, I went out and bought him a nice bottle of Keenest wine and took it down to the equipment manager's room before the game and sat there with Todd Richards, the assistant coach. And we had a coffee. And Pete and I and Richie talked for about 45 minutes about our kids and hockey and just life. And so I certainly didn't leave that dressing room going, I, I'm going to get Nashville tonight. And nor did I go into that game going, you know what? I've had a great career. It's been awesome. My last game is in exactly 34 weeks, April 24th in St. Louis. And I think I'm going to blow it all up and, and let myself ruin my reputation uh, with four weeks to go. That wasn't my intent. My verbiage came out wrong because I was working with a veteran referee in Kelly Sutherland and at the time, I thought Victor Arvidsson had kicked out the skate of the Detroit player. And as I watched the replay, as I was going to the box, I realized that he didn't. It was a bad call. And I could kind of tell by Victor's response. He was looking at me like, Peelzy, I, I didn't do anything. So when I came over, Kelly's worked gold medal game at the Olympics. He's worked seven or eight Stanley Cup finals. He was one of my closest friends on staff. It was more... I was embarrassed and it was more of a defense mechanism. And I, I go, yeah, Sudsy, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville. It just came out wrong. I don't know why I said it. I've never said it in my entire career. And it just came out wrong. And I, you know, there's this guy that I've spoken to in St. Louis. He wants me to do some public speaking. And I was talking to him the other day and he goes, think about this. He goes, you build up a reputation around the world, but really in North America, you build up a great reputation in St. Louis, your adopted hometown. And he said, in a two-second audio clip, two seconds, that's all it was. All of a sudden, it's all destroyed. It's all, you know, we know the the, the carnage from, from that. I was on the Golf Channel. They never talk about it. I was in People Magazine. I was on Fox, CNN. I was everywhere. And that's the power of social media. And so... It was funny because that day I flew home, you know, uh, to name, you know, I'm name dropping, but Gretzky calls and Lou Lamorello and 
Daryl Sutter and Brian Burke and like a lot of ex-players, current players. And, you know, I kept them all and the O point of support was phenomenal. And it's easy for your friends to, to call you and feel bad about you. But there was this player and I've told the story a couple of times, David Clarkson, he played for four teams, Jersey, Toronto, Columbus. And I forget the fourth and he hated officials. He didn't like them at all. And him and I got into it big time a lot. And so this Columbus number comes across my phone as I'm driving home from the airport. And I go, I go, hello. And he goes, hey, Tim, it's David Clarkson. For a split second, I go, I go, shit, he's, he's going to tell me that he's happy that I got fired. You know, I, I thought, because I didn't think he liked me. And he goes, I just want to let you know, I just got off the ice here in Colorado. I, I'm retired in Denver. And, and I was playing with some ex-players and we think it's a travesty what happened to you. And I just want you to know when I ref, when you refereed me and our teams, he goes, we'd always have the names up on the board in our locker room. And we always knew we had one of the best refs in the league, but we knew we had one of the most fairest refs in the league. And he says, that's all that we ever cared about because you were always fair. So it was easy for your friends. And it, but when all of a sudden people started reaching out that, that I didn't even think liked me and still to this day, I get messages and, but it's funny, like, I, so I came home and, and, you know, my wife's upset and crying and the kids come home from school. And, and, but that afternoon, Kelly Chase calls me at 1 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And he goes, and I had talked to him, of course, in the morning because him and I are good friends about my situation. And he said, uh, he said, I've got some bad news. I go, what? He goes, Bobby Plager just got killed in a car accident. Bobby Topher, as you probably know, is, a, you know, an icon and a legend in St. Yep. Louis. And, and I loved him. And so Chaser goes, Bobby loved you so much. He said he thought he'd take the heat off you today because, you know, social media was crazy. And but in St. Louis, it was really crazy. And then all of a sudden it switched to Bobby Plager and Chaser goes, you know, he loved you so much. He thought he'd take the heat off you. So anyway, the kids come home and as soon as I saw them, I, you know, I'm on my knees hugging them and, and they didn't, you know, they didn't know. And I start crying and, and then I bit of me was crying because then I had told him in the same breath that, that Bobby had passed away. And, and the only reason I was upset is because my last game was uh, uh, April 24th in St. Louis and all my friends were coming and, and family members and the blues had done tickets up. The Blues ownership was phenomenal. Tim Peel's last game. And, and for my kids not to be able to see me work my last game, that was instilled to this day is the only thing that bugged me. But I, you know, two, three weeks into it, Tisha goes, you know, you, you haven't been upset once. You, you haven't, you know, you haven't really been upset. And I go, I go, babe, I go, my whole life has been adversity and the ups and downs of my career. And, and uh, I said, uh, I said, I'm not going to let a two second audio clip define my career and define who I am as a person. I said, I made a mistake, but I said, you know, I said, I didn't use a racial slur. I didn't get charged with domestic abuse. I didn't get a DUI. I go, some things you never recover from. I go, let's put, let's put things in perspective here. You know, I said the wrong thing and it came out wrong, but I said, more importantly, I go, I got an example to set for Bronson and Brielle that are nine and seven. And I, and I use the speech on, or, you know, talk that we're talking about now, I used at my ref camp because when I did the ref school and that, you know, helps me out with it, he trains our guys. I, I didn't want to start my camp off with what happened to me. 
And I had Joe Vitale come in and pump them up and get them going. It was day two or day three. Somebody gave me a little shot about Victor Arvidsson. And I knew exactly this young kid, what he was alluding to. And so I, so I go right in front of everybody. I go, do you want to know the story? And all those kids are like, yeah, yeah. So I go, this is what happened. This is how it went down. Blah, blah, blah. And I talked to them. I, I said to them, I, you know, they're all 14 to 24 years old. I go, life's pretty good right now. In high school, you got a, you got a car, uh, probably got a girlfriend. Life's pretty good. I said, but you're going to get kicked in the balls. I said, you're going to get kicked in the, you know what, a lot. And it's how you come out on the other end. And it's how you persevere. And it, it was like the last day at camp, this mom came up to me. And it's it still all chokes me up a little because she came up to me and she goes, I wish your camp was a week long. I go, why? I go, why do you say that? And she goes, the life lessons you're teaching my, my son, she goes, he comes home and all he wants to do is talk about you and your stories and how you persevere and the ups and downs. And, and that, at the end of the day, like, it's not what happens to you. It's, or what, you know, one incident, it's how you come out at the other end. And, you know, I remember, I think it was, it was a bunch of my friends that we got together for something. Oh, it was my friends in my neighborhood. We had a bunch of people over a few weeks after my incident. And this one guy in front of everybody, Andy Kaiser, he's kids play hockey. He goes, Peels, he goes, we don't like you because you're an NHL ref. We, we, I don't care if you were a garbage man. We like you because of who you are. We don't, so we don't care what happened to you. And, and I invited 150 or 160 people to my party. And everybody came, you know, everybody, I still had the retirement party and everybody came because at the end of the day, nobody really gave a crap about the, the two second clip, you know, now if I was an asshole to everybody and not a good person, then I probably would have got beaten down, but I try to live my life just being, you know, I tell the kids when they go to school, not every day, cause that gets old, but I go, well, when you go to school to be nice to somebody today, you know, try to be, be, you know, be, be a better person, be nice to the, you know, I've, I'll, to say to them, you know, if you ever see kids that are just standing around the playground by themselves, why don't you go ask them if they want to come play with you? Because you don't want to be that kid. And those are kind of the life lessons and how I kind of live my life and try to be positive. That's unbelievable, PLZ. That's, that's so true. And like, it doesn't nullify anything in your career, you know, like obviously. Um, from from a technical perspective, like a lot of people that haven't refed or, or you know, aren't like super into sports, maybe they don't know. But like when you're, like I said earlier, refing is super hard. I think honestly, for, for me anyways, refing, like if, if I had to be as good of a ref as good of a player, it would have been way harder for me to be as good of a ref as I was a player, if that makes sense. Like refing right. is very hard to be really good at. Um, but when you miss a penalty, when you're refing, like if you miss one, which is going to happen all the time, mm -hmm. sometimes you do what refs or like the world calls is like kind of like a makeup call. You call one on the other team since you missed one. Is that kind of what happened? Why you said I was trying to get one on Nashville or it was just, you just like brain fart. Just no, it, was just a brain, it was just a brain fart because to that point, we had only had one penalty in the game and that was against Detroit. Yes. So it was against Detroit. So, you know, if I don't want to say we go looking for stuff, but if I had called six penalties in a row against Detroit, I guarantee you, I can't miss one against Nashville. Like my antennas are going up going, right. you cannot miss a trip. You can't miss a hook. You cannot miss anything. You've got to 
if 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 the opportunity is there to call a penalty against Nashville, you've got to make sure that you're ready and you don't miss it because then Detroit's really going to get upset because now they're really going to feel like they're getting buried. That's that feel that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, That's that kind of like, like I wish I wish there had been. Yeah, I wish there had been five or six penalties so that I could have said, yeah, that's, but that wasn't what I was doing. I just, I honestly thought Arvidsson tripped him and then, and because I thought he kicked his feet out and I've watched it a, a dozen times. And the two mistakes I made was I should have, I was in the neutral zone. I should have deferred to Kelly Sutherland who was standing 10 feet away, 15 feet away and is a great official and the verbiage I used over at the box. I don't know why it came out that way. And like I say to people, you know, like if you were mic'd up at your job every day, I'm sure there's going to be some things that you say that I didn't mean it that way, but it just came out the wrong way, but it certainly wasn't at all what I meant. So do you think that like, it became a bigger story outside of hockey. Like you said, with, with people in the golf channel and stuff because of um, like the refing, how like literally NBA refs have been caught like cheating and gambling on games. And so, because they don't understand like how hockey refing works, they probably thought, Oh, maybe that's what's happening. And obviously clearly wasn't what was going on. Yeah. That's a good question because we had just brought on, you know, as you know, Bally sports is a big partner, you know, with the NHL now, you know, in Buffalo, they, they have a key, a a booth set up like they would at any other rink where you like a concession stand where you can go up and bet on the game before during. Um, And so we brought on all these gambling partners the last year or two. And I think it was an opportunity for the league to show, their gambling partners that a that our referees do not ref like that and b we we will not condone it and um do i wish the outcome would have been a little different of course i do but i understand and the league was very good to me as far as taking care of me financially nothing changed but i think if i had had two or three years left in my career I may have been suspended for a couple of weeks or maybe a month or I think it would have been handled differently, but because I only had four weeks to go, it was, it was the perfect storm for them and it was easy for them. And I don't want to say it was easy for them because Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, I still talk to Bill Daly and, and uh, they're good people. They don't want to fire anybody like with what happened in Chicago. They didn't want to fire Bowman and Quenville, but their hands were tied because Batman and Daly are good people and, and they've done a lot of good things for this league. They didn't want to do what they, you know, they are collective bargaining agreement. I told, I told this to Bill Daly about four or five weeks ago when I was talking on the phone and I said, our refs are treated so well, uh, salary wise, benefit wise, retirements, everything. They're, it's phenomenal. And so everything I have is because of the national hockey league and Bill Daly's a good man. He didn't want to have to get rid of me, um, but it was kind of a perfect storm. And I understand. Well, the last, you know, the last 20 minutes or so have been such a awesome conversation. And it's basically what our podcast is all about, Tim. Like we talk about what hockey can teach us that can go way farther than what happens in between the boards. And, and I think your story 
in, I mean, your story in general, but then your story that you just told, I mean, I think it's just such a valuable lesson for, for any kid to hear. And Jeff and I also talk about how we feel like that's getting lost in the game today. Uh, especially when it comes to how officials are being treated at the younger levels. And, you know, it's, it's a really, really unfortunate thing. I mean, you talk to anybody in USA hockey or hockey Canada or any of their subsidiaries around the countries and there are ref shortages everywhere because people are absolutely insane in the stands and coaches are absolutely insane on the benches in terms of how they treat the referees. And so from your point of view, number one, why do you think that is, and then just give us a rest perspective, especially for like putting yourself in a young kid's shoes, who's just kind of getting into it, or maybe you've been doing it for a little bit or whatever, like how, how we can fix this because it is insane. We need refs to be able to play mm-hmm. hockey. Number one, number two, they're people just like you and I, and imagine if the refs were treating the parents that way, or the refs were treating, like just put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. If you're being yelled at the way that you're being yelled at. Um, so just what are your thoughts on everything when it comes to that? Because it is such a big problem now. Yeah. It wasn't like that when I was growing up Topher in New Brunswick, because first of all, there was nobody from New Brunswick that made it to the NHL. So the parents mindset back then was, my kid, little Johnny's playing house league hockey and midget and triple A and so on. And he's having fun and so on. I, I can never remember when I was a young official getting yelled at, but now what we see, and I can only speak on what's happening in St. Louis. And I know Massachusetts, for example, has a big shortage of officials, but in St. Louis, you know, in the last few years, we've had so many kids drafted, out of St. Louis and made it to the NHL. You know, that one year that we all know about where five guys got drafted in the first round, which is unprecedented. And I think the expectations, I know the expectations of a lot of these parents now are that my kid can make it to the NHL. And you see them doing off-ice training all the time. You see them, you know, I was doing it for a little bit. And finally I said to to Jamal because Bronson's on the ice three, four days a week as it is. And he wanted him to work out, you know, six 30 in the morning with some other kids. And I said, I'm not getting him up at five 45. I said, I, he's getting, he's getting enough ice time. There's so many private lessons now at our rink. It's nonstop. And the, the expectations of these parents are that their kids are going to get, that they think their kids can get drafted or D one scholarships or whatever. And, I see it at the games and and it's disgusting how some of these parents act. And I've seen clips on social media where a a mom came on the ice the other day and was yelling at the ref. And it's just like, what is wrong with these people? And for whatever reason, more so than any other sport, I think hockey brings out the worst in parents. I go to soccer games. Nobody's really ever yelling at the refs. Both my kids play soccer. Same with flag football. Same with basketball. I've never heard them yell at the ref. But in hockey, it's just a constant where they feel that they have the right to yell at these 14 and 15-year-old kids. And it's disgusting. And, and I look at them and I go, is that the example that you want to set for your kid? That you think that as an adult, you think it's okay to yell at a teenager that's out there making 20, 30 bucks a game? And if you're so good, why don't you go get your fat ass off the stands and go rough the game? You know, it's it's really a shame. And it's but it, it unfortunately, it's a lot of society now. It's you know, I don't like bringing my kids up in this in this 
era that I, I'm having to bring them up in. I liked it when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, and I'd take my bike and I'd be gone all day and playing pond hockey all day, and I'd be gone all day except for now for dinner. I don't let we live on three cul-de-sacs, and I'm so nervous about not being outside with my kids. It sucks. I don't like bringing my kids up in this era. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's such an unfortunate thing, and and we've all seen it at the rinks. And and the the thing that I always go back to because even when you're coaching, you get a little heated and stuff. But at the end of the day, especially in youth hockey, like these kids and these people are amateurs. They're they're yeah. amateurs. They're they're. And I, and you got to cut them some slack, you know. Yeah, and I <laughs> and I was guilty of it. Our first trip to Grand Rapids, it was back in September. And Jamal and I started yelling at the refs. And after the weekend, we talked and I said, we can't do it anymore. I said, it's not right. I said, and it's a bad example because it trickles down to the players. Because then all of a sudden we heard a couple of players being a smart ass to the refs. It trickles down. We, as the, as the adult figure, as the coaches, as the person of authority, we've got to set the example. It is not okay to yell at the refs. And they're going to make mistakes just like we're going to make mistakes. And like I read to you earlier, good teams do not blame officials. You can't end. And we've got to be better in that, better than that as coaches at all levels. But I still see it all the time. You know, I still see it all the time in St. Louis. I hear the parents yelling at them. I hear the coaches yelling at them. It's just, it's unfortunate. And I don't know how it changes. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's I acceptable. Yeah, it is. It's it's hundred percent. And I've I've also used it too. I've started to do a lot of like, you know, Vex, you and I talk about adversity and how important it is, you know, building that adversity muscle up and you only get better and when you're outside your comfort zone and stuff. And you know, every time the ref makes a bad call when I'm coaching now, I just go back to that. I say, All right, tough situation. How are we gonna how are we gonna handle it? all right, this is a time to persevere. We're going to build that adversity muscle here. And uh, actually it's funny. We're talking to you right now because I sat my first game out literally this weekend because my team got too many penalties. I think it's 12 penalties or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and like, and if you look at it objectively and, and I went back and watched the video, like we, we probably seven of them were penalties from my point of view, maybe somebody would agree or disagree or whatever, but all game, like I knew I knew that like we had four penalties in the first 10 minutes of the game yeah. and you know, arguably some of them, eh, probably not, penalties, but whatever, these are amateurs in Minnesota. And, and I knew that if I started barking that it was going to be a gong show, my kids right. were going to take my key and they were going to lose their minds and whatever. So I had to like suck it up <laughs> as a coach. It's and, hard. And, and hard to do that. But at hard the end of the it. day, at the end of the day, though, like you can galvanize your team through things like that. Yes, we killed 100%. those first four penalties and we were ready to go after that. Like we played really good after we killed those four penalties. And then like we didn't end up winning the game and we got a lot more penalties after that. But like for the next five minutes, it was like, OK, we got through that. This is galvanizing moment, whatever. And I feel like coaches, we have to use those times like we can't control everything. That's always what we're trying to teach the kids is you have to control well, what you can control. You can't control the refs just act on like, it's, it's how you react to it. And so they, they, they talk about when the blues won the cup, they attributed one of the incident, one of the, the times during the playoffs that actually that they, they turned the tide into 
okay, the world's against us and we're going to win this series because it was the way Craig Berube handled the situation with the glove pass in St. Louis after the game, game four. It was game four. I was standby at that game. And his press conference after, he never blamed the officials once. He said, that's some adversity we're going to have, we're going to overcome and we're going to go to San Jose and win game five. And they went up and won it in game five and then they won game six. They won the next two games instead of, I've seen other coaches get on there and all they do is complain about the refs. But Chief goes, no, he goes, it's unfortunate. He never, he never even talked about the refs. He goes, it's unfortunate, it's adversity that we're going to have to uh, overcome. And they won the next two games. It's so funny you mentioned that because I remember watching that press conference and saying to myself afterwards, St. Louis is going to win the cup. Really? Um, yeah, because the, the one thing that he said, too, was because they gave up a goal late in that game. I think they were up by one. They gave up a goal late to go into overtime. And then San Jose scored an overtime on that that hand pass. And his line was something to the effect of, well, if we don't give up that goal in the last minute of the game, then this situation wouldn't have even had a rise. That's something that we can control, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was big time. It's so funny you mentioned that because that was one of – the, it was just like, you know, those moments you have in life where you're like, okay, this is going to have an effect on me. This is going to teach me something here that I'm going to take with yeah. me for a while. That press conference by him was unbelievable. And I remember distinctly saying to myself, and we could probably go back to what, whenever that was vex you and I talking, I'm sure I said it after that. Yep, for um, sure. and it was just very, very cool to see him. And, and, uh, that's how everybody should, should go about it. It's well, control like, the think, things you can control. Think about this. Exactly. And, and- Peels, you're obviously the best person ever to answer this because you've refed a bajillion games. Have you ever changed a call because an entire team, coaching staff, <laughs> rink was screaming at you? Have you ever changed a call? Never. No, not Never. once in 8,000 games. Like, right, right. You're, you're not going to change his mind. So you might as well just pull together as a team, like Tope said, have a positive of, hey, we can work on a penalty kill now. Hey, let's come together. We're fighting adversity. But if you, if you did a, a piece of paper and you wrote positives and negatives to yelling at the ref or just taking up the tailpipe and trying to kill that penalty off, like there's no positive ceiling of the ref. There are literally, there's not one thing that comes out of it. That's positive. I, I know. And it, it's frustrating that at the amateur level, like we were in a tournament two weeks ago and we didn't play on Sunday in the playoffs because of goal differential one. And in our last game, we had scored players hugged, they were coming down the line to fist pump and all of a sudden the other bench started yelling at the ref, a 55 year old man. And all of a sudden he goes like this and he waves off the goal. So now he's dropping the puck. So now he's in the corner. He's getting ready to drop the puck. Jamal and I are like, can you please come over and explain to us what just happened? And he wouldn't come over and talk to us and he dropped the puck. So after the game, I went up to him. I said, we can talk about penalties, non I said, that's not what I'm here to talk about. But I said, you're not 14, you're in your 50s, I assume. I said, and for you not to come over and explain to Jamal and I what happened, and it really, I could tell by them, I go, it shows me a lack of courage. And he goes, well, I didn't come over because you guys were yelling at, us, at, at me. I go, we were yelling at you because we wanted you to come over and talk to us and explain why. And sure enough, we get back to the hotel. We find out that we're not playing Sunday because of one goal differential. We were sour. So I understand why parents get upset because it is, there's a lot of 
inconsistent and you know they're amateur officials and when I do my ref school I go the biggest complaint I hear and I still see it in St. Louis my our kids are nine years old and there's kids out there in their 20s late 20s early 30s and they're getting hit by the puck in the corner they should never get hit by the puck guys that are 20 30 years old that know how to skate should be able to stay out of the way of a nine-year-old that's got the puck but then what it shows me is their lack of effort on the ice that they're not working hard enough and they don't really want to work hard enough and i always say to our kids at the camp i go you may not think that eight u hockey game you know it's not a good assignment for you it's not triple a it's not but i go it matters to those parents it matters to those kids so you go out there and you're getting paid for it. You're not getting, you're not volunteering. You're making 20, 30 bucks. So if you're going to go out there, put the effort in because it means something to somebody. Cause, and I remember what it was like coming up. You're like, Oh geez, I, I got a, a, you know, a squirt a three game. And I, cause I, I want to be doing the, you know, the triple a game. I'm sure I was like that too. So it's from experiences that I've, gathered over years to try because it is the number one thing that i hear from parents is lack of effort with the officials mm. yeah interesting it's good for the refs to hear yeah for sure um so i have one more question for you peels we've had you on here for quite some time and and i'm wondering because you know you're telling the stories about how after your incident you know a bunch of guys called you and not not like just refs but players in the game right and and i'm wondering about those relationships and and i have a story and vex you remember when we were doing select 16s back in the day remember how we did that like training camp up in madison before we went up there and so we all got put with like these housing families and uh and my housing dad was dan shakti who I'm sure oh, you really? know very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah so, I worked with Danny. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And so it was so funny because this was, oh God, 1999, I want to say. Okay. And right at the, the height of the Avalanche and Red Wings uh, rivalry when they were getting in those brawls and everything. And I remember walking into his house and I was a huge Detroit Red Wings fan. And this was right as this was going on. And I walked into his house and there's this huge framed picture of, um, Darren McCarty just winding up on Claude Lemieux and on the picture it's signed by Darren McCarty. Hey Shax, thanks for giving me an extra couple or something like that signed Darren McCarty. And I just thought it was so cool because, you know, I think as, as anybody else, who's not a ref, like we don't see refs as like human beings. We just see refs as refs. But at the end of the day, you're human, just like all of us. And a big part of being a human is the relationships that you forge with the players and and you've been fortunate enough to form relationships with some of the best players to, to ever play the game. You mentioned Wayne Gretzky called you after your incident. Right. Um, and, and we always talk about getting out of the game, how the thing that we miss the most is those relationships. So my question to you is, you know, you, you build these relationships with all of these players, uh, you go through highs and lows through all of them. And that's how you develop those relationships and stuff. How much are you going to miss that side of it? Just being around the game, being around the guys, going FU back and forth with Adam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that. How, how much are you going to miss when, when it comes to that? Uh, to be completely hundred percent honest with you, not at all, because it, because the last two or three, four years, it's really changed where I, I, I honestly don't know. I cannot remember Connor McDavid saying one word to me, any game that I ever left him, not one word. Cause, and it wasn't a disrespect. He's just, he doesn't need to, he doesn't want to have a relationship with the players. He's 
too, he's fo- not too focused. He's focused on playing. And 99.9% of these young guys coming in now, they, they don't even think about the referees. They're focused on hockey. You know, even though you've got superstars still like Stammer, Stamkos and Ovechkin and these guys, but they're a lot older now. The players that are coming in, following them, like, um, who can we use? You know, Jordan Cairo and St. Louis and Robert Thomas. They never said anything to me when I refed them. It wasn't like it was when, when you know, Keith Kachuk and even, you know, I was texting with P.K. Subban a couple of days ago. And, you know, there were a lot of guys that I came up with that I, Anze Kopitar, we'll, we'll text, and Devin Dubnik and different guys, really good guys in the business. And, and but the young guys coming up now, they don't want to have that relationship. They just, it, it's not, it's a business to them. And not that it wasn't a business before, but when they get, when they leave that rink, they're on the phone with their advisor. They're on the phone with their parents. They're on the phone with their agent. It's, it's like, and another reason that, it, that it's changed. And I said this, I think it was to Del Zotto or, or McDonough towards the end of my career. Cause one night, uh, you know, teams would obviously charter. I'm not that old where they didn't charter, but there were, for a long time, they obviously chartered, but they didn't fly out right after the game. They'd fly out the next morning and go on to their next city. But now, as soon as the game's over, these guys are out. And I remember one night we were in Nashville, and, and the whole Ranger team was at Tootsies were upstairs, and 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 it was a dad's trip, and Ryan McDonough's got his dad, and Peelsy, this is my dad, and Delzato's buying us tequila shots, and I don't know who won or who lost, and it didn't matter, and but that's how you built relationship. Cause the next time I saw them, I'm like, Hey boy, Hey, Billsy, how's it going? Cause they, they, and it wasn't just me. It was the other officials. They're like, you know, these guys are good guys just because, but they've been told by this young person throughout their entire career. That's wearing a black and white Jersey that you're getting a penalty. Uh, I'm the person in charge. And they're not used to that. They're used to their parents coddling them. They're used to getting everything they want in junior hockey. And they're not used to the only person that says no to them coming up is the referee at any level. And so then at the NHL level, when you can, you know, you mentioned Detroit, like Kosh and I, Joey Kosh and I, we'd always go out and have a few. And and uh, Brad McCrimmon, you remember Brad, you know, him and I would always meet up not in, not intentionally. I didn't have his number, but I kind of knew where he hung out in Montreal, where I he knew where I hung out, and he wanted to get away from Babcock and the other players and coaches, and I wanted to maybe go solo, and and I'd always meet up with with Brad, and we'd have a few, and but that's how you develop relationships. Same thing here in St. Louis, you know, in the summertime, the league didn't like it sometimes because I was too close to some players in St. Louis, but as Jeff tells you, at St. Louis they have such a big alumni. And we, we would play golf together in the summer and we just became friends because they were coming up at the same time I was. Dallas Drake and Dougie Waite and Al McGinnis and Keith Kachuk, who's still one of my closest friends and all these guys that that's, it was just different back then. And it's just, it's different now. So I, I still keep in touch with, you know, the guys that I was close with, close with on our staff and I'll still keep in touch with certain players in the league, but the younger generation, they're they've they're they're not interested in having a 
relationship with the officials. Yeah, it's so interesting you you say that. I was not expecting that answer at all. <laughs> Vex, I saw your face. You're from same way, but it is like I, I watched a clip yesterday. Um, Adam Fox passed the puck to who was it? Lindgren, I think on on yeah. Network. Yeah. Do you know what happened? Go. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So Gerard Glant, who is awesome, I love. They call him Turk. I love Turk. Yep. His players love him. Uh, he's just a tremendous person. He's from Prince Edward Island, down where I'm from. And, ah, you and, Eastern Canadians, you stick yeah, together. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I think his first head coaching job was in Columbus because Doug McLean was the was the president and GM of the club. And Doug Eastern was Canadians Prince stick Island. together. There you go. Eastern Canadians. <laughs> and so uh, Turk he would yell at us, but it was more like a joke and you get it back to him, but he's just, he's not that type of coach. Well, on that play in overtime, Sabinajad got upended in the neutral zone. And I, I only saw it once. I don't know whether it was a penalty or not. It doesn't matter. Then they go down into the end zone. Boom, boom, boom. Unbelievable. Fox knocks it to Sabinajad. Sabinajad knocks it to uh, Fox. Fox gave it to Lindgren, I think, right? Or, no, no. Fox put it to Zabinajad. Zabinajad okay. in the slot, passed it over to Lindgren. Lindgren puts it in. 0.4 seconds to go. Yeah. As they're going off, you see Turk go like, you know, talking to, to Zabinajad like he's in shit. He's yelling and at I, him, right? Yeah. And I saw, but I saw in the post game news conference or press conference, it was on NHL tonight. Gerard said, I told him, because when that play happened in the neutral zone, so Benajad looked at the refs and was going like this and completely took himself out of the play because the play continued. It's three on three, right? And, or no, it was, it was five on five, but he completely took himself out of the play. And Gerard said, I told him, don't worry about the referees. Don't worry. That's my job. I'll worry about the officials. You worry about playing. And he got in and it was good. I like, it was awesome. I loved it. You know, <laughs> good for Turk. I actually, that's funny. I, I saw something on social media about that um, interaction between uh, Gallant and, and Zibanej. I didn't know what it was. So I'm yeah. glad I got that. Yeah. But what I was, what I was going with was, you know, Lindgren scores that goal and you saw the emotion come out of all the Rangers players, right? They were so jacked. They were so pumped. It was and I feel like that's missing from the game today. Like that's the one thing. I mean, the, the speed and the skill. I mean, the the game has never been better when it comes to those things. But and it goes to your point. Like it's almost like it's all a business now. Mm-hmm. Kids are not kids; they're investments. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, it, which in some ways makes them better because you're giving them the tools necessary to to be able to get better. But at the same time, I mean the the humanization of the game and the intangibles and the passion I feel like is, is not even near where it was when we were growing up. And I hate to be, I feel like the old guy yelling at no. the clouds and saying that, but like, and, and just hearing you, your, your response to that question, it just kind of solidified that thought that I have because, you know, it, when I was playing in college, I knew I felt like I had a good rapport and knew the refs and things like that. And, and it was interesting because I, came back to be an assistant coach and a lot of those mm-hmm. same refs were still there and it was always hey Tofa, you doing and, and right. you know it was like you're 
cool seeing him like a buddy again for the first time. And, uh, and so it just, it's just unfortunate. And I really hope that people who are listening to this really just kind of take a step back. And, and we talk about this facts all the time, taking a step back and like, what's your, why, why are we doing this here? You know? And, and it's not a business. It's a game. We play hockey. Mm-hmm. We don't work hockey and, and we need more of the humanization back in the game. I'll just say that. Yeah. No, I agree because I remember an incident, an incident, uh, Brian Boyle was yelling at me a couple of years ago and Brian's a great guy and, and he was losing his mind. He went off and a few, few, few shifts, shifts later, he came out on the ice and, and he goes to me, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for, I go, I go, don't you dare apologize. I go, don't, I go, we need more emotion in your game. Exactly what you just said. I said, don't you ever apologize. I said, if you cross the line, I'll let you know when you cross the line. But I said, I said, we need more emotion in this game. And I have no problem with what you said. And now me 15 years ago, would I have said it? Probably not, but with getting older and being around the league and maturity and so on. So I would, I, that I would hope that our officials now that are in the league, hopefully maybe they can learn that as at a younger age than I was able to, because I think it's, it's important to, to separate emotion from abuse someone's being abusive then we're talking about a different can of worms but if someone's just being emotional well that's good we need emotion like you said i love that i love that's the biggest number one thing i miss about hockey is the emotion and the passion that Mm -hmm. you play it with and you leave out there with teammates and uh, yeah we we definitely need to bring that back and have a little bit less business mindset and a little more passion mindset I i agree yeah, for sure. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. This Thanks, is boys. a fantastic conversation. I know Jeff speaks very, very highly of you. Obviously, we're just meeting here today, um, but just awesome stories. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, kind of shame on us, Vex, that this is the first time we're we're talking about refs and having a ref on because it is such an important uh, conversation to have and, and a necessary one, especially in today's day and age. So awesome stories. Thank you so much. Congratulations also on, a, on an incredible career. Career. I mean, you're talking about 1,300 games. You're talking about Olympics. You're talking about All-Star games, and and uh, just very, very, very cool. I can't imagine how awesome of an experience that was. So, thanks for coming on. Congrats on a great career, and uh, make sure you take care of X down there. I will. I will. <laughs> thanks, guys.